Welcome to B&B Financially Free, the podcast for ambitious individuals chasing financial freedom through buying short-term rental investments. We're your hosts, Chantel and Peter, and we're the founders of Good Neighbor Realty. Our brokerage has helped hundreds of people turn their active income into passive income by buying unique properties in incredible locations that are earning a ton of money. On this show, we'll bring on a diverse range of guests from industry experts to everyday people who have achieved extraordinary results in their short-term rental investments, businesses, and personal lives. Whether you're seeking tactical advice or trying to unlock your richest life, BNB Financially Free is here to join you on the journey. Hello and welcome to BNB Financially Free. I'm your host, Chantal, and I'm here with co-host, Peter. How's it going? And special guest, Mike Brockway. What's up, guys? How are you, Mike? I'm great. Good to see you guys. Good to see you, too. Mike and I are actually under contract on a very exciting house. I'm I'm the realtor. You're buying a house. Tell us about what you're buying. When are we not under contract, Chantel? I know. Whenever we're not under contract, I am a little bit sad. I feel like we like don't talk as much, and it is a little bit sad. Yeah, but you, I think you like me better when we're not under contract, actually. <laughs> That is a little bit true. <laughs> Mike is a difficult client. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is a single family home in Wheat Ridge, District 3, where there are licenses left. And for me, I told myself maybe, I don't know, yesterday that I would not buy a big project again, but I just couldn't help it. And I see this as a level up into the short-term rental world. It's a big house, 4,000 square feet, plenty of opportunity for value add. And it has a large pool and a really cool backyard. At least it has some potential to be super cool. Yeah, I think that this house has huge potential and it's a luxury investment. Um, So tell us a little bit more about, let's, let's back up. Let's hear a little bit more about how you got into real estate investing. Mm -hmm. What were you doing before real estate? And then walk us through your portfolio and we'll kind of, we'll kind of end on this exciting property that you're under contract. Okay. So I got into real estate investing when I, f- I moved out here in 2014 from upstate New York. And I always had aspirations to, I guess, buy my first house, be a homeowner. And my first home was a property that had a lot of bedrooms because I house hacked it before I knew what house hacking was. So for people who don't know what house hacking is, what is house hacking? And how did you used to house hack? Because now everybody like rents out a basement on Airbnb. Like what were you doing? And what year, what year was this? 20? 20- was Beginning of 2015. 2015. How are people house hacking in 2015? Yeah. So house hacking is essentially when you buy a property um, for yourself as your primary residence and um, you rent a portion of it out to someone else to some capacity. That can be a bedroom, which I was doing. I had a 3,000 square foot house. It was five bedrooms. And I had a couple of roommates, a couple of buddies of mine moved in and they rented the rooms from me and basically helped me pay my mortgage. Did you just stumble mm-hmm. upon that or was this like something that you were learning for bigger pockets? Like how did you even find out about house hacking? Um, I found out about house hacking after I was house hacking. Okay. Um, a friend of mine turned me on to bigger pockets after I purchased that property. And he was like, Oh, like you're, you're house hacking that place. You should check out bigger pockets. Uh, my intentions going into it was basically to, to not pay my full mortgage and live with my friends that I was already renting a place with. So we had a three bedroom townhouse. You were just uh, being cheap. I was being cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to be uh, frugal. We call it here <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> um, and so that was kind of like my first taste of real estate investing and my first step to 
you know, hedging or mitigating my mortgage, my living expenses. And from there I moved on to my next property and um, bought a basically a property that was basically a duplex, a non-conforming duplex um, and lost my roommates or intentionally lost my roommates and had my own place at that point in time. So I kind of like leveled up to that second property. Okay. So you started by renting out rooms and then you went into a duplex and you lived on one side and rented out the other. Yep, exactly. Got it. Mm-hmm. And then during this time, were you working or cause, cause now like spoiler alert, you've exited the race and are full-time real estate investor. And one yeah. of my only friends that is truly like a full-time real estate investor. But at this time, were you doing W2? What were you doing? Yeah. So when I bought that property, I actually, I would never do this. Do not do this. Um, <laughs> when I, the day I closed on my second property was my das, last day of being employed at my W2. And that almost backfired on me. Um, but it worked out. I closed and I got my second property under my belt while I was still employed. And um, from there, I actually transitioned to being a business owner, I would say, because I didn't just buy two properties. And then all of a sudden I was okay. Now I'm financially free and I can live off of these two houses. I use that opportunity to have some income um, and also have my time freedom or at least make my own schedule mm-hmm. when I was running a small business. And then from there, um, during that period, that that freedom of my schedule, my ability to make my own schedule, that allowed me to continue to investing in real estate and spend my time mm-hmm. doing remodels or purchasing properties or property management, whatever it might have been at that, you know, on that particular day. But that was my, I guess, transition from W-2 mm-hmm. to a business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now where I'm doing real estate full time. What was your <coughs> W-2 and what was your small business? Yeah, so my W-2 was in asset management. I worked three years in um, private wealth management, worked with clients that had you know, two million plus liquid in their portfolios. And we helped them with pretty much every aspect of their financial situation, which was which was rewarding to me. And um, from there, I went to Fidelity Investments when I moved to Denver, did three years in asset management there as well, but more of like a, I'd say like an analyst role. And I was covering different sectors of the market, like including real estate, more of like an investment product person. That's when I really realized like, hey, I'm not passionate about this. And this is not like really helping people that much. Um, it's, it's definitely a piece of their life and their world. But um, looking back on it, like I would rather help people with real estate investing versus, you know, their stock portfolio. I think it's much, much more impact there. And I think it's much more uh, appealing to me, obviously. Yeah. And then with that, like, what are your views now on diversifying wealth into other non-real estate assets since that was your background? Is that something that you still do? Like, do you diversify much out of real estate? What are your views on that? Yeah, it's a really good question. I'm sure you guys can see this because you own a business together, right? And you're starting to evolve, move to a point where you're doing, making different tax plays, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it comes down to for me. If it's a, if there's a tax benefit to it or like a write-off or um, something that's substantial, then I will contribute to an IRA or a SEP, mm-hmm. you know, a Roth, whatever it might be. But I'm not putting money into the market because I think that there's a return advantage there. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as return on investment or cash on cash, or whatever metric you want to look at, I'm a firm believer that real estate has a better return on your investment and better tax benefits in the long run. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Peter? 
Um, I tend to agree. I think real estate is extremely like leveraged. Um, it's very easy to, to get money at like, I mean, now interest rates are not as friendly, but it's still pretty friendly to be able to, you know, five X leverage an investment property or even like, you know, 20 X leverage, uh, on like a primary residence. If you're putting like three to 5% down, uh, there's just nothing else out there that gives you like consistent returns that don't, that, that you can control. So like, I'd say that like, you know, investing in, you know, Tesla or something might be uh, great for, for an aggressive like stock market move, but there really is no control over like how Tesla does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, like you control, you know, your rents, you control your, your, your SDR business, who you hire to, to be part of your business. And, you know, I really like that leverage plus tax plus like control aspect of real estate investing. So, uh, about 80% of my like portfolio is like in real estate. Mm-hmm. So from that, do, is that why you got into real estate? Did you realize at that time that real estate was a better asset class? And so is that kind of when you transitioned into real estate or at that time, were you more concerned about starting your own business? Um, I'd say I got into real estate because I initially just wanted to own that property and mm-hmm. I am pretty handy. So it was easy for me to like, buy a house and say, okay, I can manage this project or I can help fix it up myself. And now I'm obviously not doing as much of that. Mm-hmm. I'm very like in the weeds within my business, but um, I got into it because it was because of the returns, the cash flow, mm-hmm. the tax benefits, and because I, you know, had a pretty good understanding of what it took to take a property from point A to point B and also get super creative with it mm-hmm. as well on top of that. Nice. And then what was your small business? What did you do with that? Yeah. So when I first moved out here in 2014, um, I just wanted to start a business. And at the time I was applying for jobs, I was unemployed, quit my job in New York, packed my stuff, moved out here. Um, so the two friends I lived with were friends from high school. And one of them had experience working with as a summer gig, a event rental company. And so we basically started a small party rental company. And when I quit my job, my W-2, and I closed on that second property, my intentions were to get another W-2 job. Um, I didn't see how it would work out otherwise, but the at that time, um, the small business actually just took off. And I also had more time, right? So I was mm-hmm. putting more time into growing it. Mm-hmm. And Top Chef ended up calling us when they were filming their episodes in Colorado. And that's when I realized like, okay, like there's actually money in this industry. And we did some filming with them in Denver, went, went to Aspen Food and Wine Festival with them as well. Wow. And from there, I was like, okay, like I'm going to put, put a little more effort and money into this business and grow it and see if I can continue, um, I guess, being self-employed and um, I guess taking a, a giant leap towards being a real estate investor just because I had control of my own schedule at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Was your family supportive of that since you had like kind of a fancy W-2 and then left it to do your own business? I know Peter's Peter's family had some concerns initially to, to yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think unlike unlike Peter's family, my my mom's side is Asian and my dad's side is is not. So they were they were pretty relaxed about it. Um, I don't know how it came when, from your family, but. Um, <laughs> They were, they were fairly supportive and they, I think they just didn't know enough to be not supportive, mm-hmm. honestly. And I've always been good with money and I have a 
background in finance because of my employment. And I also have, did my MBA with a concentration in finance. So they're not, they weren't worried about that side of things. Um, I would say like if out of everyone that was not supportive, there was, I was the least supportive of myself in that mm. situation. Why? Um, because I worked for Goldman Sachs and Fidelity Investments, and I thought that was a super cool, sexy job. When I was in New York, I had a BMW and I thought that was cool. And it took me a little while to go through this little mini, I guess a small identity crisis to basically say like, Hey, like this is the old me. That was a season of my life. And that was a chapter. And I'm doing this, I'm running this new business and investing in real estate because that's my new identity. And I'm doing this for a reason because I want to be financially free and I want to focus on my lifestyle long-term um, versus just doing what other people think is cool and what's you know what's fulfilling for me and what's best for me. And that's why I was doing what I was doing. Once I wrapped my head around that, I definitely saw more success within my business, within real estate, and you know got past the fact that you know the job that I thought was cool actually wasn't cool anymore. What I was doing as an investor and entrepreneur that was the best thing I could do. And that was, that was cool in my eyes. And that's when things took off for me. I love that you said that. And you and I have talked a lot about just the idea of simplicity. And I mm -hmm. think that that's something that you have really started to value in your life, though you have taken on some really big projects recently, but just financial freedom being just a way to live a simpler life without some of the accolades that come from, you know, owning the nicest car or, you know, being a super high up in a big company. Like mm -hmm. true wealth is really found in having a simple life full of like your friends and your family and health and freedom. So yeah, yeah that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Peter, what, um, what did your parents think when you, <laughs> quit your job. I remember like Peter couldn't tell his family that he and I had like gone off and started working together and you had to kind of like tell them at your wedding. Um, yeah, something like that. Like, uh, I quit my job in like 2015 and I didn't, I don't think I told my parents for like a year and a half that wow. I quit my job. Uh, I just didn't want them to worry or, you know, ridicule me. <laughs> So, but you know, when I finally did tell them I was already like relatively successful. So like, I, I was just like, oh yeah, I'm starting my new thing like now, <laughs> or, you know, I've been doing it on and off while at my W2 job. So, uh, so today do they know the actual truth? They actually don't. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just kind of left this? it. I mean, it's fine now. Enough time has passed. <laughs> you know, we're, we're good. We're all, you know, we're all, we're all good now. <laughs> But, um, Mike, I did want to, I did want to ask you, so like, you know, you're kind of like a, like a staple here in the Colorado real estate market, like, or, you know, the, the real estate investment investment group, you know, like you come to our events sometimes a lot of people know who you are. Um, I guess like, uh, you know, what do you think the value of like, you know, the community is and like, how have they helped you? Like, I guess like make your business like a success. Yeah. I would say the the community is invaluable. I mean, you really can't, you know, I can't say how valuable it is, honestly. And there's a few reasons for that. And just speaking from experience, I mean, <clears throat> I think for me, it's been consistency over time. I've, I started in 2015. I've been fairly consistent, you know, buying a property or two every year, year and a half, um, depending on my scenario that, that in that particular time. But 
once you surround yourself with the correct people that are doing the things that you want to do and share the same aspirations, that's when that's like rocket fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, you know, there's kind of a running joke between Chantel and I. For the longest time, I did not work with Chantel. And vice versa. <laughs> um, she didn't want to work with me. It's, it's really sad. No. Um, but at that point in time, I had properties and I was getting the short-term rentals, but I was not purchasing for short-term rentals. I was converting my existing properties that were long-term to short-term. And once I kind of exhausted that and all my properties that were converted could be converted because of licensing and regulation, I do have a stu- still have a few long-term rentals today, and I like those as part of my portfolio as far as being being stable and um, predictable. Not that short-term rentals aren't, but just a different different um, you know aspect mm-hmm. to investing. Once I decided, okay, I'm going to go headfirst into this and start purchasing and acquiring for the rental of the property to be a short-term rental from day one, or shortly after I purchase it. That's when I started working with Chantel, and to be honest, I wouldn't have purchased the property I purchased if it wasn't for Chantel. And, you know, I had a, I had a, you know, I, I think mindset is super important when it comes to anything in life. Mm-hmm. And I would say my mindset was too small. I was used to buying the properties that were low risk, that were ugly, that needed work. Um, that you know, maybe, maybe it was like the long road to getting it online as an Airbnb. And Chantel and I looked at a property that I probably wouldn't have picked out on my own. And it was a, it was a new build in an area that had, really, really great regulation. And, um, that's my most successful short-term rental property, but I will say I was super nervous and without being without, I was not in the community. I was not working with Chantel. I would not have had the mindset and that wouldn't even have been one of my goals to purchase a property like that. I would say. That property is so awesome. Um, let's talk about that property. So it is in this little area called Mountain View, and it's basically Denver. It's like the city of Denver, but it's a town. And that's like something that people have a hard time navigating is, you know, is it the city? Is it the county? Is it a town? And all of that is something that you'll have to figure out before purchasing. But that one is like a high end, like luxury stay. How does that one compare to because you from a portfolio standpoint you have six properties about to be seven some Mm -hmm. of them are median priced properties in the suburbs and some of them are luxury properties what is the difference in your mind in owning a more luxury property like that one that we bought together versus a median priced property that you've converted into a short-term rental yeah the first thing i would say is um i'm all about the luxury properties and one of the reasons is my sanity. I think that you have a higher caliber guest. You There's a better ROI. Um, it's definitely more high touch. Like you kind of have like that, I'd say like maybe like a white glove service when it comes to investing because everything has to be top notch. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I, when I do something, I want to be the best. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is the best property Mountain View mm-hmm. that we purchased. It is. And that's just where I want to operate. That's the uh, caliber I want my, operate, my team to operate at. And that's, that's how I, how I purchase and my vision for even a property that's, that's not in good shape. I still want to take it to, you know, class A caliber or level. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people don't remodel and put as much money into properties as I do, but Mm -hmm. I see as a long-term investment, I want that property to operate for 10 to 30 years Mm -hmm. and I want to do minimal work um, or maintenance in that property. And so I think over time you get that money back, your life is easier. 
Um, you know, you get the tax benefits and the appreciation along the way as well. So that's just how I choose to, um, to manage, to spend money and to rehab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that there's so much value in being the top 10% of short-term mm-hmm. rental operators in a state, because like a lot of people right now are talking about how short-term rentals are declining or decreasing, but that luxury sector, or even just you being the best in your area, you command so much of the market space and you can get much higher rates. And Mm -hmm. I like what you said about just putting up a lot more time and effort and money up front. So then it's an investment for the next 15, 30 years and it's less time for you managing how do you, so you've made fun of yourself for over renovating your homes. Yeah. Um, what are some things that you invest in your homes up front that maybe other people wouldn't have? Yeah. I mean, even when I was doing just long-term rentals, you know, I'd be doing a basement unit in a property in like Adams County that had like a class C to B tenant and I'm putting stainless steel, granite countertops, um, all the best material in there. And part of that is like, I want it to be tenant proof as well, mm-hmm. um, or Airbnb guest proof. Going beyond the finishes, you know, hot tubs I think are like a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my properties have saunas, I, and I'd say half or most of them have full gyms. I mean, we're talking like squat rack, bench press, free weights. Um, Do people use those? I I think so. Yeah, and even if they don't, it's just like just like me and you, like. The idea of going to the gym is great, yeah. but we may not go to the gym every day. Right. So they'll probably book that property with the idea that they'll work out during their stay, right? Um, in reality, they might be you know, partying and going out and drinking over the weekend, so maybe they're not working out. But if it will make them book and pay more money, then it's worth it for me. Mm-hmm. There's been such debate over gyms, <laughs> but I mean, hotels have gyms and people like want to have that option. And so I agree with you. I do think it's actually something that makes your property stand out. Mm-hmm. in this area. Yeah. And just like you were saying earlier, I mean, those amenities in, the, in these higher caliber properties, that's not only beneficial when everyone's winning, but when there is a slowdown in the market or a seasonality in the market, like the winter months, my property being an option next to a property that does not have a gym, mm-hmm. they're going to select my property all day mm-hmm. um, just because of the extra amenities. And it's a little bit nicer. And even if there was a race to the bottom or prices were dropping in this market, or you know, in a certain market cycle, everyone's going to drop their prices, and um, my properties are going to be nicer, so they'll get booked and they'll have occupancy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on another friend's podcast, um, Ian, and um, I, I mentioned that during the first year of this this property, it did seventeen thousand in December, one of the winter months, and I was like super surprised at that. I, mm-hmm. I thought it would maybe drop down to like the eleven thousand dollar mark. Mm-hmm. Um, our goal was to do 15,000 a month, I think on average, mm-hmm. and it's done really well and it's done really well in winter months. And I can compare that to my properties that are not as nice. And the ones that are not as nice definitely take more of a hit or are more seasonal than the ones that are that are nice. Yeah, that's a good point. Your properties still perform even when seasonality is a challenge to fight mm-hmm. against. Um, tell us about like, what was the purchase price on that property? And then what do you think it's going to gross? And what does that look like for you from like a net perspective? Yeah. So this one again was, was pretty scary going into it. Um, and again, Chantel uh, told me to stop, uh, to not, not worrying that she guaranteed it would crush it. <laughs> I personally guarantee all of Mike's investment yeah, yeah. properties. I make her sign a waiver. He does. <laughs> That's a joke. I won't do that. <laughs> um, 
but we bought this was just over 1.1 million. Mm-hmm. And just like a couple other of our transactions, it was, it was pretty rocky because at this one, we got into a bidding war and I actually know the other realtor that was representing the other buyer. But we didn't know it at the time. Right. At the time we found but out after the fact. You guys were using the same lender, which is how we found out. And that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Denver's a small city. When I first moved out here, someone was like, yeah, you'll, you'll realize Denver's a small city. And I'm like, no way, like not true at all. But especially being, you know, well connected to the investor community here, like it is a small town and you are going to go up against your friends, other investors, other realtors, you know, and this just happened to be one of those scenarios. Um, and so going back to the, the, the deal, it was a, you know, roughly 1.1 million just over. And I somehow, finagled a 5% down jumbo loan. That was the last (laughs) time I saw one of those. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was like a few days before the cutoff where like people just didn't offer that product anymore. Yeah. When was this? Like 2022, Beginning of 22, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I'm not afraid of leverage anymore as long as the number is pencil and, I typically like to have a nice plan B with this property was kind of a risk reward scenario. And there was not an amazing plan B outside of it being a short-term rental, but with the regulation and the profit that we were expecting, it was worth it. Um, and before that I could never get into a jumbo product. I was, when I bought my previous investment, it was a $900,000 quadplex and I had to put 20% down because I could only do a conforming loan. Mm -hmm. And that definitely like, you know, made me stumble as far as like my growth progression and it used up a lot of cash. So it took me longer to save up for this next property. Right. And then I only put 5% down here, which allowed me to buy the next one faster. So I think like leverage is a amazing tool. Um, <clears throat> as you grow and you, you know, learn more different loan products and get are able to get finance for more and get into the jumbo loan territory. I think that's an, a, you know, a super good tool that everyone should, you know, try to use and, and work with multiple lenders too, just to, mm-hmm see who will do what, what products they have. Um, you obviously want to have like one, one lender and one realtor at the end of the day, but I learned a lot of different things from different lenders mm-hmm. and, you know, doing various deals over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you don't mind, like, let's just kind of like get into like the nitty gritty, like numbers of, of like your portfolio. Like you were able to, I mean, you're like very comfortable now I'm, I, or maybe, you know, you wouldn't say that, but I think the average person would say that you're relatively comf- comfortable now with the amount of passive income that you have. So let's kind of like dig into like how you, how you built that or like, just like go through like maybe overall numbers and where you want to go from here uh, yeah. and what your goals are. <clears throat> For sure. Um, so after we close on this property two days from now on Friday, I'll have six residential properties that are broken up into roughly 13 units. Um, mm-hmm. And each, each pro- I mean, my long-term rentals, the worst one is like a you know, net cash flow of a thousand bucks a month, but going, mm-hmm. looking at the short-term rentals, um, you know, they all cash flow like four to, Four th- at least $4,000 a month each. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And I'm self-managing as well. Right. Right. Um, and there are better, better months in there. And sometimes, you know, one is an example, like that thing will net 10 K a month because I bought it in 2016 to 2017. And my payment is 1200 bucks, right. but I converted it to a short-term rental. And sometimes it'll do, you know, 14, 15,000 a month, which is wild to think about. But a new, a new buyer or a new investor, they're not going to find that anywhere else. It's only because I have been consistent over the years 
and I held on to those properties that are just happen to be good short-term rentals as well. Yeah. So, I mean, in, so you started in 2015, it's really mm-hmm. been eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, harnessing short-term rental, you've, you've been able to, you know, quit your job or you did that before anyway, but, uh, <laughs> it's probably safe to say that you'll never have to have to work at W2 ever again. Yeah. I think I would never like want to either. I mean, mm-hmm. now that I'm, I've had the flexibility and I, you know, work in gym clothes all day and I have a home office and have the flexibility to travel and do what I want. It would be very hard for me to go back to a desk or like clock in at a job. I would, I would honestly <laughs> never, never do it regardless of what happens to me. You don't have the temperament for it. Like, <laughs> like honestly, it's a personality thing. Yeah. I was, I was a, I'm a very bad employee. I was a very bad employee too. You know, like I think we all were, I think yeah. we all were terrible employees. Yeah, yeah for sure. And that, and that, I think that makes a good, you know, business owner or entrepreneur as well. Yeah. I agree. So how has it changed like since you started buying to today, like what is different about your purchase decisions from 2015 versus 2023? I think in 2015, I always thought that I had to like do some sort of forced appreciation or forced value play in a property. Um, and that takes time and that takes money. And that's, you can't necessarily use cheap debt or low cost leverage on construction all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was, a big cash suck for me early on is funding construction, right? And rehab, you know, slow too. I mean, I would buy a property, live in it, fix it up over that year or six months or whatever, and then move on to the next one, right? I think what something that's that's helped me or a light bulb has went off for me, especially when we bought that property in Mountain View, that was a 2016 new build um, that we bought in 2022. But those properties, you're able to le- leverage the asset better. Um, I'm not putting 50 K or hundred K into rehab after I buy it and I can conserve that cash or use it on furnishings in this case and move on to the next one faster. So I've done both. Um, the property after that one that we were discussing in Mountain View was in Wheat Ridge. Um, Mm -hmm. this was a flip and I, my perspective used to be, I do not want to buy a flip. Like I hate flips. (laughs) I know that, you know, I know enough about remodel and about the flipping game that these guys are not putting the, I guess, extra effort or love into these properties as if they're going to live in that house for the next 10 to 30 years. Right. And so they're going to cut corners and we've, and, and I've seen it. I mean, that house we bought together in Wheat Ridge, um, we, they didn't upgrade the electrical property. The HVAC was brand new as well. They didn't upgrade it properly. So I've had to go back and fix those two large items mm-hmm. and figure that, figure that out along the way. But the, I guess the message is, use leverage to buy or buy a property that's that's turnkey you don't always have to force appreciation or value through construction i agree with that <clears throat> peter probably has some thoughts on that too because i think you do that and i unfortunately continue to not do that though i be- i believe in my heart that this is the better way <laughs> uh yeah like i i don't buy anything that requires more than 30 to 45 days of construction these days uh it's just, I, I see it as kind of like a high risk. Um, I'm probably going to have to, if, if it takes longer than 45 days, uh, I'm probably going to have to spend an extra 100K on it. Um, and it's going to eat into my Airbnb revenue. And especially, depending on the season, I could be losing 10 to 15 grand a month, or, I mean, or even like 25 grand a month uh, on some of the luxury stuff that we're, we're a part of. Um, so yeah, like I, I it's, like, it's almost a pretty hard and fast rule that I don't do rehab anymore. And 
yeah, I've done quite a few flips as well. It's, it, it's been, it was a stressful time in my life and it definitely is a danger. I don't buy flips either. Um, uh, I guess that kind of leads to like, okay, well, Mike, I mean, what, uh, what do you see yourself doing in the next like three to five years? I mean, of course you're going to, you're going to buy more property, but, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you have, you know, overall goals for your, for your professional and personal career. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think going into that, that question, that conversation is, um, you know, something I respect about you is you have that rule, like, Hey, I'm not going to buy a property if it takes me more than 30 days to get it online. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or Airbnb ready. And you got to have those, those hard and fast things you stick to. And that's one of my weaknesses. I tend to go after the shiny object and what's next and try to level up. And I'm kind of like addicted to like the game of it. Mm. Um, the pain of it. Yeah. I just, I just love <laughs> the pain. Um, you too, Chantal. Yeah. I do too. No, I like Mike and I share that and I've gotten like videos, like the saddest one I got was the one of your crawl space flooding. That oh one, that one broke my heart. Like it was like dead of winter and he was like in the middle of this like crazy remodel and it's like literally just water, like flooding the entire house, flooding the basement. And it was so sad, but yeah, here, here we are under contract on something else that you're going to put a lot of work. Yeah. (laughs) After all those blood, sweat and tears, didn't learn my lesson. So here we are. (laughs) It's like Um, a bad relationship. Just continue to go back. Yeah. And I, I look at, you know, on a serious note, I look at every deal there's, there's trade-offs in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and on this next deal, there's a, there's a pretty solid upside mm-hmm. and it's a different type of property that ha- should have, you know, a higher return than anything I own mm-hmm. quite, quite frankly. Um, but I also can make it through these remodels without, you know, pulling as much of my hair out as I used to, mm-hmm. I would say. And I have a pretty good team and network of contractors. I know these guys can get the job done. Right. So mm-hmm. I think with time, anything becomes easier. And although it's not my, the most ideal scenario for me, there are, you know, the pros outweigh the cons in this scenario. Um, and we'll see, we'll see how it turns out in four months from now. I think the ones that you have bought, so I, this will be the fourth property that you and I are buying together. Mm -hmm. Two of them have been turnkey and two of them need work. Yeah. The ones that need work do have significant upside. Like one was in an area similar to your other one where it was very difficult to get a license. It was a Mm -hmm. duplex. You could legally do each side of the duplex as a short-term rental. We got a great deal on that property. Mm -hmm. And then this next one is in a really high end area and has potential to really stand out on the platform and has amazing amenities. And so I think that if you are going to do a remodel, it just has to be worth it. And something that people need to consider in today's environment is like, if your plan is to burr or get out of that property, A, you have to make sure that you're going to be able to qualify for the new price, the new value of the property, like your quadplex, you bought it for 900000 just mm-hmm. appraised for one point three five, And so you basically have to qualify for that difference. Yeah, yeah. which is which is tough sometimes when you're trying to write off everything in your taxes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that $500,000 HELOC that I just got approved for is definitely going to help out with um, the rehab on this next property. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, I think the gold nugget there is, um, we were, we were buying when other people were fearful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, working with Chantel uh, as much as I trust her and as much as she guarantees that my property will perform forever, <laughs> um, <laughs> forever, <laughs> no, as, as much as I, I trust, <laughs> as much as I tr- trust Chantel and, you know, 
her experience and her knowledge of the market and rules and regulations and where different cities and, you know, counties are going. Um, it's still tough. Every single deal is still tough and unique in itself. Mm -hmm. And I, and I recall, um, you know, a couple of days I say, saying to Chantel, I'm like, Hey, thanks for being my counselor today because I, I, just like anyone else, I'm getting buyer's remorse and, and these deals still are scary to a certain extent. Both of the two that we bought, um, mid, last year, towards the end of last year, both deals or both properties um, were during a time when there were not, there was not a lot of competition and everyone thought interest rates were super high and the market was mm -hmm. scary. And we were to get, able to get both of those properties significantly below market. Mm -hmm. And yes, I was, you know, a little fearful at those, in those moments as well, but they both turned out to be, you know, amazing properties. Um, and, you know, they both have their, their pros and the benefits of owning them long-term. So mm. looking back on it as fearful or as nervous as I may have been looking at the fundamentals and working with Chantel, um, you know, there's, there's reasons why we pushed through and made those happen. And they're again, great properties today. Mm. Yeah. And I feel the same way. I mean, I, <clears throat> I've called you, I've called Peter every single time I buy a house. And it's so funny because like as a realtor, I get to be a part of hundreds of these transactions. Mm -hmm. And so like when it comes to purchasing my own asset, I should be the most confident person in the world. And I'm totally confident until the day that I'm supposed to sign something. And I'm like, <laughs> what did I do? And then right after I close as well, I'm always like, why would I pick this? Why did I buy this? But every yeah. single property that I've purchased, even the ones that I would say are not like the perfect investment. Like I have that like little kind of shitty three, two in Wheat Ridge and it's not like the property that I would buy as a short-term rental today, but I'm mm -hmm. so happy I purchased it because I purchased it right before that area had massive growth. And it's it grew like 250000 over two and a half years, which is just insane. And because I had a 2% interest rate, it's still cash flowing really, really well. So even my lesser investments in comparison to, you know, our better ones, like, you know, the A-frame or the bridge house or my three unit, those are much better investments but it still worked out. Like it was still a good decision for me to purchase that property because of time. Yeah. And you have a license, you have a district one license. D one license. You know how valuable yeah. that is. <laughs> um, and, so, and I got one before the property was even ready because I wanted to lock it in. So, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say make your investment decisions based on licensing, but it's a huge factor. It's definitely a huge <clears throat> factor. And something that I love about Colorado and like you and I and Peter I've talked about this a lot. All of us are building portfolios in Colorado. And when you look at like Facebook groups, you'll see everybody in Facebook groups are like, don't even bother with Colorado. It's mm -hmm. highly legislated. Stay away. And I'm like, that's great um, that they're saying that because yeah. it's like good for our Stay investors. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, like if you can navigate that legislation, then you're one of the few people that actually does navigate it. And there's far less competition in our market than what you would experience in places like Arizona or Florida or Gallenberg, yeah. Tennessee. So I think that we have not seen as big of a dip as some of those other markets have. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think we're like an inch, you know, mile deep, inch wide, I would mm -hmm. say in this market. And a lot of, a lot of people will say like, Hey, why don't you invest in like Scottsdale or like Austin or these other markets? Well, like this is our backyard and we know it mm -hmm. um, super well. I mean, Chantel knows the regulations better than I do, but you're that, touching that. I will <laughs> get, give you credit. There. You're getting really good. I uh, will say you're pretty hands on too. And I think that that has served you well in your investment career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're in that building phase, you, you really need to be, um, to make those smart decisions. Mm -hmm. But 
yeah, and I still have people to this day, they're like, hey, like, how are you doing short-term rentals in Denver? Like, you're not allowed to do that, right? So knowing this market or the Denver metro market or the surrounding markets like the back of our hand, that's the competitive advantage. And that's, you can see success as long as you know, you know, one thing very well, you can make money doing anything. I love that. Mike, how can people <clears throat> find you? Um, do you want to be found? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think this goes back to like Peter's question. I don't want to go too, too far, but I kind of um, didn't answer him directly, but I think you asked about, you know, what do I want to do long-term and all yeah. that, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, I say this after every tough deal um, or maybe going into it, like this is my last one, my last big project. Right. And for me, it's like, <clears throat> I never believe you. When you say that. Like n not once. <laughs> I like to tell myself that to uh, stay motivated and, and see that. end at the light of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel, mm -hmm. that goalpost. Um, this is an issue with a lot of entrepreneurs and, and business owners. You always move the goalpost. Mm -hmm. And so for me, <clears throat> I eventually want to stop moving that goalpost and realize like this, when enough is enough mm -hmm. and try to have a better like work-life balance, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm doing a big remodel, I'm like, I'm head down trying to get that thing online as soon as possible and pretty hands-on, right? So I'm trying to get a lot of that off my plate, outsource it, pay better contractors, um, pay better GCs, have, have, have like the experts in there doing the work, but it's still, it still consumes a lot of your life, right? I would say your day-to-day -day or at least your, your work, the work hours throughout the day. So my end goal is to not necessarily be working in my business as much mm -hmm. and have a solid team around me. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, make, I'm taking steps in that direction. Um, just thinking about the cleaning business, you know, like I have one solid cleaner that I work with and she does all my properties and she's like, she's a complete badass. And I've really made it an effort to have a strong partnership there, mm -hmm. you know, help her grow as a person and, uh, and within her business mm -hmm. and also like help my business grow as well. And there's a, there's a strategic partnership there as well. And then going to my handyman, I, I just have a, now I have a new handyman and he's basically full time. And it's perfect timing because I had some like maintenance items and improvements I wanted to make my, to my existing portfolio. And he's going to be working 40 hours a week on this new property as well. And he's on my team and I'm going to help him grow his business. You know, if I'm not, if he's not working for me, he's going to work for other people mm -hmm. and I'm going to help him, you know, meet his goals as well and stay aligned. So grow your team, invest in them, um, prioritize them and, you know, care about the folks around you mm -hmm. help and help people. Really. That's, that's one of my passions is helping others. Mm -hmm. And if I can help someone with real estate, I think that improves their life. Um, and that's, that's fulfilling to me. I've seen you do that with a lot of people. Um, you're kind of like quiet, sneaky, helping so many people in Colorado build their real estate investment portfolios. And I think that it just comes back to, you know, we're supposed to be living a purposeful life and mm -hmm. who cares if you achieve financial freedom and you don't have good people on your side and on your team and you're not contributing to other people along the way. So I think you've done a really good job of that. Awesome. I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting to see scenarios where you, you help someone get started and you know, they go zero to 60 in like a year and they're crushing it, yeah. you know? And I think I can think of a few people in my network or, you know, friends or friends of friends that are, that are crushing it. And this is like a huge part of their life now. Right. And that's a huge impact for them, for their families and you know, all the people that they touch around them that they help along the way. And so that's, I think once I stop being so hands-on with my business and taking on large projects and realize that like, Hey, this is the goalpost. 
I hit it. These are the things that are more important in life. I will just focus on coaching and giving back Mm -hmm. and maybe formalize that into a new business where I'm doing something that's easy for me that I'm passionate about. doesn't require me to uh, be on the job site or work with contractors that can be stressful. Um, And you're just working with good people, right? And I think that's, I'm sure you guys see that in your business. You want to work with good people and the ones that suck, you know, you're going to fire them or you're not going to work with them again. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's your work life balance is important. That's a big part of your life. My goal is to just do things I'm passionate about and only work with people that I want to be working with. I love that. How can people find you? I'd say the best way is Instagram. Um, it's mbrockway120 on Instagram. I'm, I'm on Facebook and other social media platforms, but primarily use Instagram. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on. Uh, this is one of our our first podcast. So, uh, you know, we, we do hope to be doing this for, for years to come, but you know, you, uh, you've contributed a lot of value to our listeners and, 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 you know, people that are, that are watching. Uh, so yeah, I really, really uh, appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thanks guys. My pleasure. Thanks everyone. See you soon. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend who's also interested in real estate investing. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a review wherever you listen or watch your podcasts.